following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right. Today I'm speaking on the subject, dreamers of the day. Dreamers of the day. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. God bless you. You're incredible. All men dream, but not equally, said T.E. Lawrence. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find it was just vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act out their dream with open eyes to make it possible. Dreams, dreams. They're called the real windows to the soul. They reveal more about us than we tend to know. If they happen to be from God, they determine our destinies more than we could ever imagine. Henry Ford had a dream to put a horseless carriage into the hands of common folk. He built his first car in a shed behind his house, and his first car, folks, did not have a reverse gear in it. He was not going backwards. I love that. In 1903, he formed the motor, Ford Motor Company and produced the Model T. And that year, his company made 6,000 cars. And eight years later, they were producing 500,000 cars a year. Don't count the dreamers out. They matter. The first presidential inaugural speech that I remember was President John F. Kennedy about a new frontier he was talking about. I was a 10-year-old kid at the time. And I'll never forget it. He said, if you will not ask... If you will ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, we will be the first generation, he said, of people to go to the moon. And nine years later, 1969, two men stepped on the lunar surface and the rest is history. Don't count the dreamers out. 2005, NASA outdid itself. The moon was a distant past, 34 years in its rearview mirror. No pun intended, but the feats were astronomical in 2005. Three things happened. NASA returned the space shuttle to flight, and there was an extended exploration of Mars by two robotic rovers and the International Cassini-Huygens mission to Saturn. On July of 05, space shuttle Discovery completed a complex flight to the International Space Station, the first mission since the Columbia accident in 2003. Space was back in business. Also in 05, the Mars Exploration Rovers Spirit and Opportunity. I love those names, Spirit and Opportunity. Continued studying the harsh Martian environment. They had been on Mars for a space of two years and they sent pictures back and information for over 15 years. Spirit discovered a composition of rock outcrops altered by water and Opportunity found evidence that water once flowed across the Martian surface. There was and is water on that planet. Today, both rovers have completed full Martian exploration discovery opportunity finished just last year, 2019, and Spirit was disabled by an accident in 2010. And on December the 24th of 2004, the Huygens probe descended through the murky atmosphere of Saturn's largest moon. I know this sounds like a history lesson. That moon's called Titan. And it landed on Titan in January the 14th, discovered that the moon was remarkably Earth-like, and what was found on these two planets was mind-boggling. I don't have time to discuss, but the Cassini spacecraft to Saturn and its moons sent back breathtaking pictures. 1969, the moon, folks, we went 240,000 miles to step on that lunar surface. But here's what happens to dreamers. 2003, Mars, it's 171 
1.5 million miles to Mars. And then Saturn, oh yeah, same 2005, 1.1 billion miles to Saturn. You know what dreamers do? Once they see they can accomplish this, they believe they can accomplish this. And once they accomplish this, they think they can accomplish this. And once they accomplish this, they think there's no boundaries to what God can do in their life. We need some dreamers in the world today. So who was behind this space stuff? Who could conjure up and implement plans to do these kind of things? They are smaller, quieter, more thoughtful than the burly images of action figures. Yet they are direct heirs to the ancients who wished to fly. To Da Vinci, who penned numerous drawings of men in flight. To the Wright brothers of a century past. To the mythical Icarus. To the men who dreamed of soaring. To people who reached to the outer realms of our solar system. They were unique people. They were people of purpose. They were driven by purpose and they sacrificed personal ambitions and desire for a mission. And yes, they checked their egos at the door and they planned and they worked and they stumbled and they fell, but they got back up again and still dreamed. And they tried and tried and tried until they succeeded. See, they're ordinary men and women who want to succeed where others have never tried. That's what a dreamer is. Now, in another place in time, I'm reading the text now, Nehemiah 4 says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Verse 21 says, So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Can I tell you two words that have to happen if you ever become a dreamer? You're going to have to work. Everybody say work. And you're going to have to fight. Everybody say fight. You're going to have to fight and work and work and fight and fight and work and work and fight. Dreams don't come true because too many people oversleep. But dreams do come true if you wake up and say, I'm going to go do this thing and make it happen in my life. So I have a message for the church today. Let's go forward in 2020. Amen. Let's go forward. Let's do something for God in 2020. Come on. Clap your hands real big. Let's do something for God in 2020. Let's make it happen. A new year is dawned. And the burning question this year, are, are we better off than we were a year ago? 20 years ago, our world waited with bated breath. When Y2K came to a close, people cringed with fear, not knowing what was going to happen. Would the computer crash? Would planes fall out of the sky? Would the world become chaotic? In fact, 2000 became more of a sigh of relief than it did a shout of joy. But my question today differs to you. I'm not so much interested if you are better off today than you were a year ago. I want to ask you a different question today. Will you be better off next year than you are today? How are you, how's your future looking? Five years from now, 2025, should the Lord tarry his coming, how will you be? See, let's not compare our today with our yesterdays. Let's compare our todays with our tomorrows. Charles Swindoll said it this way, it's not what we are, but what we are becoming that matters most. So what are you headed to? What are you looking for? Are we becoming achievers? Or are we just receivers? Are we climbing? Or are we reclining? Are we forward moving or are we standing still? We live in an age, folks, of cynicism. You can say amen anytime you get ready. 
pragmatism, and getting by. And we have traded creativity many times for cynicism. We have surrendered our dreams in the struggle for survival. Would we rather get by or would we rather dream high? Hallelujah. William Coffin said, if we do not look for something above us, we'll soon sink to something below us. All the psychics and the astrologers and the crystal ball gazers and the tea leaf readers will give their assessment prediction. You know, there was a girl years ago that was one of these and she was on TV. She was a psychic and she sang a song, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? You'll get that after a while. She told people what their future was, but she didn't even know the way to San Jose. I just thought I'd say that. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you. I choose to look at the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. I choose to look at God's word for my future. Solomon commanded. Anybody enjoying the Solomon series on Wednesday night? Anybody enjoying that? Isn't that good stuff? We love it. Proverbs, he said, let your eyes look straight ahead. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Get a happy foot. <laughs> God calls us to become what he can make us. Don't shirk from the heavenly call. Paul said, I was obedient to the heavenly vision when God gave it to me. So we need to put our shoulders to the wheel and see what God has for us. Let's believe God for the impossible. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above that which we can even ask or think. Let's welcome what God can cause us to do. Like the twin rovers, spirit and opportunity. God's spirit always brings God's opportunity. We need the spirit of God in our lives. We need the Holy Ghost in our services. We need enthusiasm in our future. We need more than just making it through life. We need to be excited every morning that we get up, that we serve a God that can do anything. Clap your hands and rejoice to that. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a perceptive man. While living in captivity as an honored cupbearer to the Persian monarch, he desired to see a work of restoration back in his home city of Jerusalem. And one of his contemporaries was a man named Ezra, a priest, and he had already restored the temple and brought the priesthood back uh, a revival to the ministry. But Nehemiah would bring revival closer to the people. He took it from the ministry to the people. And in the previous chapter to our text, Nehemiah had made a midnight run and inspected the city walls on his horse. And he noted that the missing gates of the wall were not there. And he noticed that there was huge breaches in the stone wall encircling the city. And as appreciative as he probably was of Ezra's effort. Nehemiah knew this, a revival unprotected is a revival that's lost. We could not give the enemy access to the house of God. We must have some barriers to separate the enemy from the house of God. And so he called together the city leaders. He said, you see the distress we're in. We've got this house and no wall. Sometimes it takes someone from the outside to point what we all see, but we choose to ignore Nehemiah was a perceptive man. He was a driven man. There was a certain purposeful tone in his voice when he spoke the word to the assembly. He said, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That was his dream. And opposition came early. I call them the three stooges. Their name was Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. I think Larry, Moe, and Curly would be a lot easier to say. 
One was a Horonite, one was an Ammonite, one was an Arab. My Lord, have mercy. And this mixed multitude with mixed motives tried to hinder what God was going to accomplish through Nehemiah. Can I say it again though? Nehemiah was a driven man. Oh, somebody needs to get a drive in us. Somebody needs to pick up and say, I will not be defeated. I will see my dreams come to pass. Driven. Don't count the dreamer out. He proclaimed the God of heaven will prosper us and the work didn't stop. Labor was divided. Everyone worked. The people shared in Nehemiah's dream. Why? Because they saw its merit. Why? Because they saw the wisdom in building and protecting the house of God. Why? Because they saw the romance of architect from the ashes. They were dreamers of the day, not night dreamers that had too much pizza before they went to bed or some daydreamer that sat under a tree and smoked a little pot. They were dreamers of the day, not daydreamers. There is a difference. So I want to preach three little points to you today. Number one, everybody say, God gives timely dreams. Boy, I feel like, I feel good today. You know, it's amazing what three days off up in the snow and angel, 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 uh, what? Fire will do. <laughs> Ezra came first. Nehemiah came second. Ezra came first. God raised these men up in particular order. Ezra came first and went to the hearts of Judah's problem. See, Judah had a heart problem. The people of Judah didn't love God like they, like they should have loved God. And so Ezra restored worship. Can I stop and just say, if your worship is sagging, you need to get it back. Come on, help me. let me preach now. If your worship is sagging, you get 98% of your body replenished with sales every year. Why don't you replenish your worship this year? and start getting your hands in the air sooner and start believing that God can do anything in your life and praise him when you get up in the morning and praise him before you go to bed at night. Why don't you restore your worship with him? Their hearts begin to beat again. Heaven canceled the cold blue, but health hadn't completely returned. Then Nehemiah came on the scene and he protected what Ezra started. And he took Ezra's dream and projected it to the next level. See, God gives timely dreams to people. Dreams have shelf lives and they're perishable. They must be acted upon. And I'm telling you, if God's given you something, don't sit here for the rest of your days and say, well, you know, I had a dream back there in 06 and I just thought it would happen one day. No, you got to get up and work and fight and fight and work. You got to go after it and you got to give everything you have because God will see your dream come to pass. There was a man named Habakkuk that had a problem with God's silence one day and he looked around and wondered, God, why aren't you doing something? And he said, then the Lord answered me, I love this, and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. I believe that. You just got to go after it. Dreams come for the moment, for the season. They come to project us from our present into our future. They come to launch us from our todays to our tomorrows. So why dream, Nehemiah? Because Nehemiah didn't have to coerce the people. His invitation was a dream and the people felt the dream. And the dream energized them and called the best out of them. Why dream? 
When Nehemiah made his invitation, a great unity resulted. And here's a quick look at the people that came to work. Now, you got to get this. A dream caused this. The governor showed up to work. The priest showed up to work. The Levites showed up to work. The goldsmiths showed up to work. The perfumers, the people that made the perfume for the house of God and for all the, 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 the fire burning uh, uh, incense in the tabernacle came to work. The merchants worked. The guys worked. The gals worked. The kids worked. Everybody worked. Everyone. But notice something. Wall building wasn't the governor's day job. It was not the priest's day job. It wasn't the goldsmith, the perfumer, or the merchants normally what they did. These people gave up their ordinary occupation for a while. They didn't bring their natural skills into their new job. Their new jobs call for a different set of skills. God equipped these people to build something for him. Why dream? Because a dream causes people to give of themselves. And the king gave the materials, but the people gave the manpower. There's a king in heaven that's going to give us the materials, but we're going to have the willpower and the manpower in this house. When a goldsmith comes to know a governor, when a priest works alongside a perfumer, only when a dream is bigger than they are can unity be the result of it. No, I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not Ezra. I'm not on their ranks. I don't possess their qualities and I don't possess their courage. Yet I serve the same God on the third Sunday of February 2020. In our Lord's stead, I bid you today, and it's on the screen, come, let us build the church in 2020. Come on, come on, come on, clap your hands. I'm not talking about a physical building. Let me preach to you right now. We're not into buildings in this church. We're into people in this church. And we believe when God sends the people, he'll provide the building. And God is sending people and he's gonna provide the building. Somebody help me preach right now. It's time for more people to be saved than ever before. It's time for more people to be healed than ever before. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and I will prophesy to them and they will prophesy for me and I will heal them and I will raise them up and I will save them. We're not here to build buildings. We're here to save people. We're here to bring people to the kingdom of God. Woo! Let's build a church that ministers to the brokenhearted. Let's build a church that's filled with many languages and cultures blending in worship where people minister and are ministered to. Let's build a church full of grace and full of second chances, full of the spirit, full of prayer and full of praise. Let's build a church where the good news is heard, where people give cheerfully and love unselfishly. Let's build a church where outreach is only excelled by inreach. Let's build a church where the lives of people are transformed, where marriages and families are healed and where dreams are restored. Let's build a church in 2020. If you believe that, clap your hands. If you don't, clap them anyhow. Hallelujah. Let this church focus on children. 90% of conversions take place among children and teens. Let's build a church for our kids. We'll have 300 of them next door today or better, maybe 350. Let's build a church that our kids can get saved in. We need our children saved. Let's let this church focus on teenagers. I want to thank God for Pastor Field and all his team 
that works with our young people on Wednesday night and does young adult on Tuesday night. And by the way, young adult used to have about 30 on Sunday night. They had 115 last Tuesday night. That's a church growing. Most who are called to mission fields and ministry or service in and around the church receive their call during their teenage years. Let's let a church focus on teens. Let the church focus on men. I read recently that if a teenager is saved, he will reach 19% of his family with the gospel. If a woman is saved, she'll reach 32% of her family. But if a man is saved, he'll reach 82% of his family. Let's build a church for men. Come on. Let this church focus on women. Everybody say, God bless women. I want to tell you something. I am not a chauvinistic man. I got three daughters and a beautiful wife, and we buried a dog that was a girl. If you think I don't like women, I love them. And I love you, my wife, and I love you, young person, but I love you as a pastor. It's an agape love, it's unconditional, it's not a filial love, it's not physical. It's not a brotherly love, but I believe with all my heart that God has given us a love for people in this house. And I want women to understand this is a place that has a place for women of prayer. Women of prayer are women of power. And women of power are women of promise. And women of promise are women of prominence. And women of prominence are women of purpose. Let's build a church for women. Jesus did, and we will. But let's build a church that focuses mainly on God. Let's see his presence in our midst. Let's value the moving of his spirit. Let his touch and his approval be the supreme object of our worship. Let's build a church for God. Everybody say 2020. It's time to build the church. That's the dream. It's time to build the church. God-given dreams, point number two, are opposed. They're opposed. They're always going to be fought. There's always going to be somebody in opposition to what God gives you in your life. Nehemiah faced entrenched opposition. In the fourth chapter of the book, his opposition is described. The Ammonites from the east, the Ashadites from the west. God, that's a name. The Arabs from the south. He was under attack from all sides. Yet the greatest opposition didn't come from without. It came from within. I'm going to tell you three things that you're going to face when you have a dream. Number one is apathy. There's going to be a time when you just want to quit. You just want to lay it down. See, the Bible said that the Tekoans refused to help him in Nehemiah 3 and 5. And they didn't want to get involved. They wanted the benefit, but they didn't want the sweat. They wanted to understand, I want to go to a church that's growing and having mighty revival, but I don't want to be involved in the prayer. I don't want to be involved in the giving. I don't want to be involved in the attendance. I just want to show up when the work's done. And that kind of stuff can bother a church's dream. But you know what Nehemiah did? He just stayed, stayed quiet, didn't say a word, just kept working and kept building. And God let the, worker, the workers continue and they built the wall. The second thing that's going to come is anger. You're going to get mad. Because when people say, you're dreaming that, you're a nut, you're crazy. You got that kind of dream, you're nutty as a fruitcake at Christmas time. And they will do that. People have done that to me. I have had people walk up to me in my lifetime and said, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, I don't know if it messes with you or not, but it's messed with me. God's got something for me and I see it on the horizon and God's going to do this for us and I believe it with all my heart. One guy walked up to me one Sunday and I said, are you leaving? He said, yeah, I'm leaving. I said, what for? He said, because any church in this town is better than this one. 
that kind of got me aggravated because I know the kind of people I pastor in this church. That's the first negative thing I've said in about three years. But I want to tell you something. You know what God did when he walked out? Five new families walked in. And God all of a sudden showed me, hey, hey, don't stay angry. Don't stay angry. Just rebuke that anger in your heart and move on and let's go on for the kingdom of God. The third thing that's going to help hurt you not only is apathy and anger, but anxiety. You're going to get anxious. You're going to get short breath. You're going to say, oh God, I believe I have some AFib. Hmm. It's going to be bad, but you got to understand something. Here's what you have to do. When you get fearful, start praying and say, God, you're not the author of fear. You're not the author of fear, but you're the finisher of my faith. You're not the author of my fear. You need to start talking to God. Oh yeah, when you feel apathetic, just shut up and keep working. When you feel angry, just rebuke yourself and keep working. And when you feel anxious, just get out and pray and say, God, you didn't start this in me for me to die on this. You started this in me to complete it. And I'm going to see the completion of what you started in my life. Somebody help this pastor preach today. People who dream are builders, not wreckers. Nehemiah said, so we built it. The entire wall was joined together for the people had a mind to work. They build in spite of clearly known opposition. They build in spite of mockery and ridicule. They build knowing they can't please everyone. They build knowing they should only please God. They choose their audience. They perform for an audience of one. Others will cave in. Others will give up in the pressure. Why? Because maybe the vision was never very clear or dear to them. Let's make this clear. Let me make something clear. The church exists to evangelize the lost and to save the saved. That's what we're here for. We socialize, but we're not a social club. We teach, but we're not a learning center. This church is a soul-saving station. Turn to your neighbor and said, he just said it. We want souls saved. Let's have, the biggest, let's have the biggest income this year of souls being saved that we've ever had in our life. Come on. Let's build a church in 2020. So opposition is going to come. So you ask yourself this question. Why did I become a part of this in the first place? Why am I here? I believe that you did because the church's dream synchronized with the dream within your heart. And your desire to unite with others to reach the lost is why you're here. You were convinced that we could do more together than we could separately. You love this law of synergy. One will put 1,000 to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. Keep that dream no matter what the opposition, no matter the price. Preserve the dream. And the third thing, and I close today, is this. Protect your dream. Dreams need protected. I love Emmett Smith. I got his jersey. I wore it on Super Bowl Sunday. I've never met him. He's missed out on that. <laughs> that sounds cocky, doesn't it? I'm 70. I can say those things now. I'll meet him someday. But I loved Emmett. He could carry a ball and not put it on the ground. He didn't fumble the ball. He carried it, put it in the end zone. Leading rusher in the NFL. He had a backup back in the 90s. They used to attend this church when we was next door. His name was Kervin Richards. Many of you may know him. You may have heard of him. If you're ball fans, you probably know all about him. One day in Chicago, the Cowboys were beating the Bears pretty bad, and 
Jimmy Johnson pulled out the starters and put in Kervin Richards to run the ball. And in the fourth quarter, he fumbled the ball twice. And I noticed that I didn't see Kervin Richards at church the next Sunday. He got cut from the team on Monday. And he never got to play for the Cowboys again because there's something about this thing called the dream. When you get to carry a football in the NFL, when you get to dribble a basketball in the NBA, when you get to hit a baseball in Major League Baseball, when you get to sing on the stage, when you get to preach the gospel, when you get to do all kinds of things that you're doing in your life, you don't need to drop the ball. You need to protect that vision. You need to guard it with your life because it's a God thing and you can't lay it down and you can't stop it. You've got to let it go and let it flourish in your life. Say amen right now. <laughs> Nehemiah. Nehemiah said his workers had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They put the, they put the mud on with this hand. They had a sword in this hand. Mud, fight. Fight, mud. Mud, fight. Fight, mud. If you're going to see your dream accomplished, you've got to work and you've got to defend. You can't lay it down. You can't fumble the promise. You can't fumble the dream. Hold on to it. God has a great reward waiting on you if you will just cling to the dream in your life. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Nehemiah said the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. So start dreaming at daybreak, Randy, if you'll help me. Keep dreaming until the stars appear. Keep guarding your dream until the day is done. Solomon said, where there's no vision, people perish. One translation said the people are scattered. Scattered. We live in a distracted, scattered, diverted world. George Barnes said this. He said, Christians that I know today, 31% of them are stressed out. Listen to this. 49% of them are too busy to go to church. 50% of them are needing new friends and they don't have any friends. 40% of them are in debt. They may not be tithing. 11% of them deal with addiction. 48% of them searching for purpose and 55% of them are skeptical. That last one I don't want you to be. I want you to be believing that God's got something for you in your life because he does. A lack of vision among other things can cause such thing. A vision for the future removes stress. A vision brings deliverance. A vision brings a new day. There's little need for dreamers by night. Neither is there any great demand for daydreamers. We need dreamers of the day. Don't count the dreamers out. You know what we need in our church? We need fathers who say, you know what, kids? Sunday is God's day in God's house. Dad, you need to say that this year. We're going to church. Sunday's God's day. We need the mothers who say this home will be a toxic-free zone for the family. We're not going to have any toxicity here. We're going to have health here and healing here. We need youth who will say, I'll be a witness at school. We need college students who will say, I'll be a missionary at the university. That's what we need. I couldn't, I couldn't close this message without mentioning something today. I lost one of my dearest friends yesterday. His name was Pat, Pat Patterson. I called him Buffalo Bill. He looked like an old throwback cowboy. Had a little hair back here that he didn't grow it here. He's like me, couldn't grow it here, but he grew up back here. And he always challenged me to grow mine so we could look alike. I loved him. Three years ago, God turned his life around. And yesterday... Pat got a ride home. He got to go home. But that's what church is about. Oh, we grieve today, but not as folks in this world grieve. 
We understand that people need to die and they have to die because it's an appointment. But it's so good to know that I'm standing here today because of the dream of this church, knowing that a man walked in this church lost. He went home to Jesus saved. I think that's pretty good. I think that's mighty good. And you know what? You know what? It's an awesome thing to deliver people into the hands of the Lord in that posture because that's what the church's mission is. That's what the dream of the church is. Not build bigger buildings. Not see if we can outbuild the building bigger than the ones next door or down the street. But we must have people in our lives. When I was a kid, Martin Luther King was assassinated in 68. I was just a, just, just a young teenager. But I used to listen to him, and, and I know this is Black History Month, but if this was December, I'd be telling this story. I used to listen to Dr. King going down the road. I, I loved his preaching. I love what he said in his preaching. I love how he was inclusive and not exclusive. I love how he loved people. He was a man with a mission, with a dream. He, he said, I have a dream. And I used to have his tapes, and I would go down the road, and I would pull over, and I'd cry, and Dr. King moved me. I wished I'd have met him. He said one day, he said, this is what he said one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. And that one day God's children will live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You know what hit me when I was in angel fire? I'll tell you what hit me. When I thought of this statement that he said, I said, I'm gonna include it in my message on Sunday. And here's why I'm including it today. Please forgive me. But if Dr. King was alive today, I know he'd be in his 90s, but if he was alive today, He would love to preach at this church. Because God has given us a cross section of all kinds of people, economically, socially, ethnicity, all kinds. We've got people from every continent on the planet. You know why? because this church has a dream that we want heaven to come down and touch anybody that walks in these doors. And everybody is a somebody because God made us all. Thank you, Dr. King, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of pastoring a church. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. Clap your hands, man. God is awesome. I am so, just keep standing, I'm done. I am so proud of this church. And I'm not prideful, but I'm so proud of this church. 
I'm so proud that people of all ethnicities and all social orders and all kinds of folks from different educational backgrounds can walk in this house. When I was 25 years old, I had a dream that someday I would pastor a congregation here. And I never dreamed it would be this church. I just thought I would come to Austin and start a church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry this has got me. It's just got me. But God dropped me in a place. He dropped me in a place that people who needed Jesus could come and find him at that place. And I promise you in 2020, our doors will be open, our hearts will run warm, and we will see the glory of God in this house all year because God favors churches like Christian Life Austin. He favors a church like, come on, he does. So here's what I want you to do. I know I have another service in a moment. Before you leave your seat, don't you walk out because I'm gonna bless you with a prayer in a minute. Take one minute to shake as many hands around your seat as you can and say, let's build a church in 2020. Come on, let's build a church. And we're not talking about a physical building. Let's build a church in 2020. That's the dream, let's build a church. Stay with me, I'm gonna bless you in just a moment. Stay with me, I'm gonna bless you in just a moment. Stay with me, we're gonna be blessed. Don't leave that before the blessing, amen. And now stop where you are. Lift up your hands and let me bless you. Dear Father, I thank you for right now. I thank you for a dream when I was 25 years of age, 45 years ago. I honor you today. I give you my heart. God, we're gonna see some awesome things at Christian Life Austin in 2020. Let it unfold. Let our worship be restored. Let our dreams, God, be current. Don't let us fumble them, God. Don't let us cast them away. Let us protect them. Let us defend them because your dreams are worthwhile. Now bless us today. Bring us back Wednesday night in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.